Well, is anybody ready to get into the Word? My wife traveling with me here today. Thank you. Amen. Blessed to spend a few days uh, just relaxing with her. And so it's not always that uh, I get the opportunity to have her with me, but I'm glad we're together. Amen. Amen. A couple of verses before I have you be seated. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 11. Matthew 6, 11, a very short scripture. Reading in the King James Version simply says, Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And skipping backwards to Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to read this passage, verses 14, 15, and 16, in a more modern translation, the New Living Translation. Genesis 6 and 14 reads, Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. With the Lord's help and your indulgence this morning, we're going to try to knit these two verses together. Entitle this as we pray, Bread and Boats. Bread and Boats. Amen. Amen. Can you pray with me this morning? Pray for me. Pray for each other as we look into the Word. God, I thank you, Lord, for this wonderful atmosphere of praise and worship. God, faith filling this house, ready to hear what you have to speak. God, I pray every heart be open, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yielding, God, to that which you desire to impart. I thank you for the privilege, Lord. Let my mouth be your mouth this morning, God, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I thank you, God. Yes, Lord. Oh, God, your word is so worthy, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. You may be seated this morning. One of the very first words that we learn, I, I don't even know, maybe even before we're, we're infants, is the word mine. Mine. Perhaps it's only preceded by mama or dada or no, but it is definitely one of the earliest words that we, every one of us learn, mine, right? You see a young child who wants something, whether it's actually theirs or not, they'll go over and mine, right? And they may not even be playing with it. They just want it. They want their fingerprints on it. They want to control whatever toy or doll or whatever because they want to hold it. They want to be in control of this. Not much has changed when we grow older, is it? It may not be a toy or a doll anymore. It may be circumstances or situations, but we still want our fingerprints on things. I participated in a, in a panel years ago at a Bible quiz extravaganza, lots of questions were being fielded. I was a quizzer myself at that time. 
And um, the question arose about how to deal with pressure during a, a quiz, right? When the, the, the score's coming down and you've got, you need the last two or three questions to win. How do you, how do you handle that? How do you focus? And how, how do you mitigate its impact on your quizzers so that they can answer those questions? And there are a couple of answers given, and I pump, piped up from the far end of the, the panel, and I said, well, I just live for those moments. That's what, you know, as the pressure heightens, I'm like, bring it on. Yeah. He said the tension and, and the drama. And to this day, in my mind's eye, I can see everybody sort of leaning and looking down like, what, are you crazy? But the fact was that my mentality was that when the quiz was on the line, I wanted things in my hands. I wanted to be in control of how this was. Now, did it always, did I always win? No, no. But I was going to be the one to determine whether we won or lost. And reflecting now, many years later, I think I have to confess that of the totality of those moments, if it was as much a matter of perhaps adrenaline or, or trust in the Lord or confidence in my preparation or aptitude as a quizzer, I, I think it may come down to the fact that I wanted to be in control at that moment. In fact, when I aged out and I was no longer eligible to quiz, I began to coach. In fact, I, I coached my, my wife, was a quizzer, a very good quizzer, and uh, I learned a lot coaching her how to deal with attitudes. We're, we're still working on that. But I was able to coach her and uh, my brother and sister. And people would come to me. I was like, so what's the biggest difference between your time as a quizzer and now just one, two years removed from having that? I said, it's the lack of control, right? I'm sitting back there. I don't have a buzzer in my hand. I can't do anything about whether, you know, everything that I could have done to that point, I, I've already done. But in that moment, it's up to them. It's the lack of control. In fact, even earlier in high school, when there were group projects, anybody ever been a part of a group project in high school or, yeah, I already hear some of the groans and stuff happening, right? Uh-huh, group projects. Why do professors assign group projects? I still don't know. Uh-huh. But my approach to group projects was to get everybody together and say, all right, I'm going to do it all, right? I got this, all right? Just sit back. Don't worry about it. I'll have it done. You'll get a really good grade. And if, even if I procrastinated, and I did, it was one thing for me to procrastinate, and it was a whole other thing for me to relinquish even partial control of my grade to those goofballs, And I, I describe myself at times, to, even to this day, as a recovering perfectionist because I want things to be thus and so. That's just my nature, my temperament. God's helping me with that. There's one thing to be a, a, a strive for excellence, and I believe God is worthy of our best. But even when I cannot offer that, I have to trust that God's making up the difference. And so the need for control is something that we've all faced from the earliest of ages all through our lives. 
to varying degrees and in varying areas. There's other areas where I'm like, okay, well, no big deal. I can let that slide. No way. But there's mm, even those who perhaps are more passive, right, who are uh, live and let be to go along and get along. If you present them with something that they're really good at, that they're knowledgeable about, right, well, just wait. You just see them elbowing other people out of the way. It's like, okay, now this is my turn. I, this is where I live. This is my wheelhouse. Let me show you how it's done, right? Numbers chapter 11 we read, again, uh, uh, from the New Living Translation, Numbers chapter 11, beginning to read at verse 4. It says, Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain, Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers and melons and leeks and Onions and garlic, and that really went downhill quickly, didn't it? I mean, can you imagine the smell? Dear Lord. They continue, but now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna, is this manna. I joined this passage in Numbers 11 with our opening scripture. Give us this day our daily bread. Because we see we see in this passage from Numbers chapter 11, and they're complaining a very key principle that control dictates that we settle for less. If we have to control things, if we have to have it in our hands and our hands alone, it means that we are going to settle for less. Allow me to, to convince you. And instead of enjoying the sweet, miraculous bread from heaven, even jeopardizing the milk and honey that they would enjoy once they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land, oh, the grapes of Eshkel that were to come, grapes that they needed two men to carry, the Israelites were willing to settle for the fish and the cucumbers, the leeks, the onions, and garlics. Because it cost them nothing. All of these things were free. No stipulations, no preconditions, no rules. Because they wanted to exhibit control over what they did have. How much they could eat and when they could eat. Unlike the, the manna that appeared every morning and then was gone. They had to gather only what they needed for that day. And if they gathered too much, it was going to rot. They had no control over that. It just showed up miraculously. And they're saying, oh, that we had these other things, all this food that we used to eat whenever we wanted, however much we wanted. They were in essence saying that they would rather be in bondage but have a, a modicum of control over their sustenance then trust God for their daily bread. Then trust God for their daily bread. But it was that manna over which they had no control. As we said, it just showed up each morning, determined by God how much they could. That manna was their salvation. 
That was their sustenance, the very thing over which they could not dictate to God when and how it should fall. That was their salvation. And if we're not careful, we'll take for granted and even minimize the miraculous in our lives. And we can marginalize God's power in our lives because we want to have control. And if we're not careful, we can t- fall into a rut and take for granted the power and the presence of God when we feel his unction begin to move on us and we feel like jumping a little or we feel like dancing a little. We, oh, I got to stay in control. That's not really, oh, no, 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 no. God forbid that we mitigate that power and presence of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And just take for granted what we can control. What happens in our churches, what happens in this church, doesn't happen in every church. And God forbid we take it for granted and settle for anything less than all than what God wants to pour out upon us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We can even go so far as to resent God's blessings in our lives because we can't control them, because we can't dictate the stipulations and the conditions to God. Now, that sounds preposterous. Oh, Brother Fulbert, I'd never do that. Israel did it. I confess to you, I've done it. We can't do it. Jesus, in this simple verse in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, identified our daily need to relinquish control. Matthew 6, verses 10 and 11, commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. It says, thy kingdom come, thy will, thy will, not my will, not your will, God's will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And then Jesus follows that general statement with a very practical application of what it means that God's will be done in earth as it is in heaven. He says, give us this day our daily bread. I don't know about you, but that little verse, what, seven words? That scares me. That verse scares me. Because if I truly believed when I prayed that, I, I might go home and unplug the fridge, empty all the cupboards, sell the deep freezer, because all the food in the fridge and the cupboards and the freezer, that's all for tomorrow. That's all for next week. That's me storing up food so that I know what is there. And I don't have to trust that, well, where's the food coming from today? I'm not advocating that anybody go do that and sell your fridge and empty. I'm not saying that, but I'm challenging us to think about our reliance upon these things. Give us this day our daily bread. Give me just enough for today, God. No more and no less. That's a pretty heavy-duty prayer. It's reminiscent of the passage that we already read in Numbers, a time when the Israelites gathered only the manna that each family needed for that one day. Any more, and it would rot. 
The principle means praying, I don't know from where tomorrow's necessities will come, but I choose to cede control to you, Lord, and to walk by faith and not by sight. I don't know what's coming tomorrow or the day after that or the day after that, but I choose to trust you, God, with my life, with the wherewithal, with my family. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Give us this day our daily bread. Profound faith lies in the absence of control. Profound faith lies in the absence of control. As long as we insist on exerting control, we cage our faith and we bar our freedom. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so following God, giving them manna, Exodus 20, God then gives us, the Israelites, ten commandments. Ten commandments. And reading in Exodus chapter 20, following the, these ten commandments, it, it, again in the New Living Translation, Exodus 20 verse 18 says that when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us. Oh, no, or we will die but Moses pleaded with them in verse 20. He said, don't be afraid, for God has come in this way to test you so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. But verse 21 says that all the people stood at a distance. Oh, no, that's too much for us. We, we see the mountain the thundering and billowing and the smoke. And we don't know what's going on. Things are totally out of control. And we're just going to stay back here as far away as possible, Moses. All right, you go talk to God and you tell us what he said. And Moses is like, no, 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 no. God wants relationship directly with you. Not through me alone. But God wants to minister and directly with you. He's using this to test you. But the people stood in the distance, but Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. The dark cloud with all the thunderings and the smoke and the lightning. And here's Moses, one man out of two, three million, walking into the darkness. While the rest of Israel drew back to where things were safe and under control, Moses had to get closer to God even if that meant groping his way through the unsettling uncertainty, the thick darkness, because that's where God was. Even in the midst of what he couldn't see, he did not know, uh, completely understand. Moses had to be with God. And even in those dark, out-of-control times, if that's where God is, that's where I want to be. I've got to, it doesn't matter who else is going to walk with me. If everybody else just hangs back and says, okay, you got, I got to get closer to God. With all the millions of eyes on my back, I'm going to walk into what I may not know. But God, I'm trusting that you are in control, even though I'm definitely not. Hallelujah, hallelujah, because I want to be where God is. Hallelujah. Perhaps David David, so many years later, perhaps David learned this principle 
from this example of Moses. We read in Psalm 20, 23, excuse me, reading from the King James Version, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David wrote, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Not my rod, not my staff, not all of the things that I've gathered together and have got under control. And this is going to be me. All right. No, no. All, God. all right, God. Sometimes we can say, I'll, I'll do your, your walk of faith, but here are my preconditions. Right? It's like we feel God leading or directing us, and yet, you know, okay, we start to bargain with God. Right? Like, all right, well, if you just do this, God, or if you just set it up like this, and here's a contract, could you sign here, sign here, initial here, and stamp here? Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. David continued, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. <laughs> Talk about out of control. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a euphemism for the presence of God. I will be in God's presence forever because his goodness and his mercy shall follow me. It's almost like David was trying to convince himself, surely, Surely, I have no other recourse but to believe that God's goodness and mercy follows me every day of my life. Hallelujah. Even when I can't see it. Oh, God. Hallelujah. They may be, my eyes are forward and goodness and mercy might be behind me, back and me. I can't see them as I move forward through the darkness, the valley of the shadow of death. But I have to believe that surely they are there. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, God, his goodness and mercy are at work in your life, even if you don't realize it, when you don't realize it. Oh, there's times where we are bound in the blessings. We know exactly that God is working. And there's other times we're facing dire circumstances we have no answer to. God's goodness and mercy are just as much there in your life, backing you up as they were at any other time in your life. Hallelujah. Can we take a moment and thank God for his goodness? Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, so good. God, beyond what we know, you are good, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Perhaps Moses learned this principle of faith and relinquishing control. Perhaps he learned it from Noah. One of the opening passages that we read, once again, in Genesis chapter 6, reading from the New Living Translation, God's instructions to Noah Build a boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. And within... These instructions, 
I see nothing about a rudder. I don't see any instructions for a ship's wheel. There were no sails. There were no oars. You see, this ark was going to go wherever God wanted it to go. And Noah had, and his family had no control over where the wind and the waves and the storm was going to take them. Hallelujah, hallelujah. But the beautiful irony of that is that it was their salvation. That was their salvation. They got into a boat with all these animals. They could not control. They didn't know where it was going, how long it was going. But that was their salvation, to relinquish, to cede control to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We can and should plan according to what we've received of the Lord. I mean, the, uh, Noah did. The ark didn't build itself after all, right? Oh, but in doing so, we must live each and every day in dependence upon God and God alone. Hallelujah. Knowing that everything we have comes from him. It's not by my might or my power. It's not this wealth is by my hand. God forbid. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This principle of not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord, is married to John 3.8 that the spirit like the wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but you can't tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. You can't wrestle the wind. You can't overpower it. You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. You can hear it. You can feel it. You can move forward when you raise a sail and just hope to catch it. Hallelujah. It will give you direction when we cede control and allow God to carry us forward, hallelujah, in the flow of the Spirit. The Gospel of Matthew recounts another story about another boat. Peter and the disciples in the midst of the storm and the wind blowing so strongly, they had followed the leading of the Lord to cross the Sea of Galilee and the prompting of the voice of the Lord. They, and, but in that moment, this great storm had come upon them and they were in danger of sinking, or so they thought. And, of course, here comes Jesus in the midst of a storm walking across with all chaos breaking out, everything completely out of control. They couldn't control the boat. They thought they were going to die. Here comes Jesus just walking peacefully. Hallelujah. And so Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come unto you on the, on the water. And Jesus said, come. He stepped out of a boat that he was desperately trying to control onto a swelling sea over which he had absolutely no control. You see, Peter recognized in that moment that the miraculous could not occur so long as he was wrestling with the rigging and the oars and the sails. He was trying to control something he could never control, and he just had to relinquish that and draw closer to the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Peter and the disciples demonstrate that trust, not the trust that they could control what they knew. These were fishermen, remember, but the trust that only Jesus could control the wind and the waves. That was their salvation. That was their salvation. And so that begs the question for us all this morning. Will it be faith 
Or will it be control? Because we can't have both. I've learned, God help me, I'm still learning that you can't have both. Stand with me, if you would, this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I trust that even in this moment, God is ministering. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Even from the beginning of our new birth experience, becoming new creatures in Christ Jesus, it's about allowing God control in our mind, our body, our spirit. Repentance is the admission that I can't live this life on my own. I've tried, I've wrestled with things, I've tried to, to make my own way. God, I can't do that anymore. I'm going to turn away from that. I'm going to turn towards you. I, don't, I, I can't work out the chaos on my own. God, I want to draw closer, ever closer to you. That's what repentance is, to confess that we can't live this life on our own. Baptism, baptism in and of itself, you're falling backwards underwater. I mean, is that not an act of relinquishing control? Amen. Amen. And in that moment, all of your sins are washed away. That which you cannot do, we cannot, we cannot do that on our own, and yet we see to God, and he does the miraculous in our lives. And the infilling of the Holy Ghost, God is, is drawing you to speak in a, a language, a heavenly language that you don't understand that only he can interpret, hallelujah, that sounds like gibberish to anyone else listening on. Oh, but it sounds so beautiful to him, hallelujah, as we yield control and begin to speak as a sign of his lordship and his control in your life, hallelujah, hallelujah. Just as that small rudder controls the directions of great boats like we've talked about, so we are directed by our tongues. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And when that abundant heart is filled with faith, willing to yield control unto God and God alone, hallelujah, that's when we begin to speak in that heavenly language, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That moment at which you cede control and allow God to direct your life is that moment in which you yield to that which you do not understand. I don't know how it's all going to work out, God, but I'm going to choose faith instead of choosing control. Hallelujah, hallelujah. It's just the beginning because we're going to grow in faith. We're going to walk further. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to open this altar for a time of prayer and allow this word to settle into our spirits to respond, and if you are tired of trying to wrestle things out in your life, you're tired of trying to control it all, pray, yes, plan, yes, but give God the freedom he desires to see the miraculous enacted in your life, hallelujah. You may be stepping into a storm or walking into darkness, but choosing faith means that God will meet you there. God will meet you there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This altar is open. Please respond to the unction of the Holy Ghost, the moving of his spirit here today. Hallelujah. However God directs you to pray with you for yourself or to pray with others, I invite you to do so. Take the freedom and liberty in the spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, not my will be done. God, but your will be done here today. God, beginning today, Lord Jesus.
Jesus, whatever we've held in our own hands, God, put our fingerprints on. We offer it to you, God. God, take control, Lord. Move as you would move, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I can't do this on my own. God, I'm going to wear myself out trying, God. I'm going to grow frustrated and weary, Lord. Hallelujah. God, I give you control. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 